0: So um, what I'm trying to emphasize is the, the sheer rise, I think, will happen this year, thanks to COVID, in students going to summer school. Uh, in the city of Montgomery, the only document I could find this week uh, from the Department of Education is that there are 25,000 students in Montgomery. And as of the writing in June, 12,000 of them had signed up for summer school. Almost 50% were going to go to summer school. So, uh, it is an understatement to say that the needs are greater this year than they have been in probably the past two years. Students have attended class from their bedrooms, Uh, they've seen their friends and teachers uh, on Zoom or whatever mechanism they could have. Some students obviously didn't have internet or did not have perhaps the electronics, even needed to to get online. An in-person school, when it did resume, uh, there were all types of fears of, you know, uh, the six-foot proximity, that type of thing, uh, that COVID placed such a uh, strain on our education system. And I know I have several teachers, uh, educators in my congregate, or in our congregation today, so you have experienced some of this firsthand. Um, I would say that the church, like the school has faced some of the same challenges. If it weren't for a couple of those guys up in that booth up in there, uh, March of 2020, when we went online only, and they responded very quickly, uh, and we've learned as we have gone uh, along, but church has has um, struggled. And I mean that in Big C Church. Um, I quoted some statistics the past couple of weeks. Another one I found this week is that one in three Former faithful churchgoers are now going, one and three. So, if you thought the church was failing across our country, COVID might have been that death nail in the coffin for many churches. However, there is summer school. And in a year that had so many crazy things, or actually, uh, we're over a year now since COVID, we're Probably 18 months or so, and according to when you said you started, if it actually started in November of 19. But um, we are here today because uh, we believe in a risen Savior and we follow a word that He has provided for us. And as we look today at a book that is misunderstood in many ways, um, we're going to use John's letter to the seven churches in Revelations to be the context of lessons for the church because I believe that we can all benefit from summer school in one form or another. How many of you here, uh, let's start with teachers. How many of you have ever had been the Mark Harmon character? You had to do summer school. You had to teach summer school. Not that you were a gym teacher, but if you're a gym teacher, that's okay. Anybody ever have to lead summer school? No one? And the teachers I like, got, how many? Oh, there's one hand, okay. One or is it kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, I did, okay. Maybe harder to raise. How many of you ever went to summer school because you didn't, well, or need, maybe you just wanted to get ahead. I mean, that's the, that's the one reason I know many of you are here today in church and wanting to study this book of Revelation. It's not because you've lost something or forgotten something or failed something. It's because I want to get ahead. I want to know more, and I think that's a great thing to do. So, um uh, John writes to seven churches mentioned in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book. And rather than just starting in on a church next week, I want us to have a little bit of introduction. So let me jump into the text at chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. Who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of his, this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia... And in the coming weeks, you'll see a map of Turkey. And some of you maybe were in the military and got stationed in Turkey. And perhaps you saw the seven churches or got to visit some of those. Grace and peace to you from him who is and was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom of priests, to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we approach a book that, if the video didn't cause people to want to leave, when they hear that it's from Revelation, sometimes we're like, eh, I'm good. Help us to be better then, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Let these words that were written some 2,000 years ago speak to us right now. Let us know that you are sharing a small snapshot into glory and describing who you are, who the Spirit is, who your Son is, and the grace and peace that the world longs for can only come through you. Give me your words. Open our ears and our minds. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've ever had the first day of school, if you've been a teacher or a student, you know that the first thing you typically do are introductions. And today's, the title of underneath this whole series of summer school is this is first day of school, first day of summer school. And on that first day, the teacher typically comes in and sometimes you will call roll or perhaps they have you stand up and tell something about yourself. And if time was uh, no, didn't matter, I would have you each stand up Tell us your full name. Tell us how you came to know Jesus. And then tell us something you know about the book of Revelations. And many of you would stand up and walk out. But let's turn the tables instead and, and look and introduce this book versus having... I mean, I think that would be some rich time. And that, that's probably a wonderful thing to do. More like on a Wednesday night or an evening service is to share more about our own faith walks because you learn from what others have done and what they've experienced and how they uh, have served the Lord. But you know this book to be a book that causes fascination or fixation on predictions. But we must always focus not on when, but who the book was written about. Not when he's coming, but who is coming. It is a book of prophecy with warnings and consolation. It speaks of future judgments and future blessings. It uses symbols and visions. It builds upon a familiarity with prophetic writings such as Ezekiel or Daniel. And it builds on language that most of us are not used to speaking or reading. Have you ever tried to read an older English novel? Read Pilgrim's Progress in the Old English. You'll be, well, where's the modern translation of that? As Norse was in my office giving my pre-brief today, and I love aviation illustrations, I looked at Dean. Could you imagine someone in Jesus' day having to describe a helicopter hovering down onto the earth? The words that they would use, a flying bug, larger than any, you know, with moving wings, you can see how some of the imagery that we have written for us in Scripture might not necessarily be able to be comprehended, those who are 2,000 years past it. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, along with James and Hebrews and some of the other books of the Bible, this book shouldn't be in the canon, the collection of those that we call our Bible today. Ulrich Zwingli, the Swiss reformer who is a contemporary of Martin Luther, said it should be left out and omitted totally. It was too complicated. But I challenge you today not to lose heart or to toss it aside, not to run out oh, Cliff has started on Revelations. It took him six years at that church before he really worked his way into Revelations. No, I've actually preached from Revelations a couple of times here, and I'm not going through all oh, 20 plus chapters. We're going to look at the seven churches in these uh, next uh, two months, or so, if you will. But know that in it, we shouldn't be focused on charts and timelines, but on, instead on the beauty and the gift of God's son, Jesus, and his inspired word that he has for us. So, introductions. It was written to seven churches, and as I alluded to already, seven churches that you can find in modern day Turkey. Probably written sometime around 95 or 96 A.D. And Jerome, a, a early church father who is probably second only to uh, Augustine in writings, he actually pinpointed a day in one of his writings because he based it on some of the persecution that the emperors of Rome were, were, were doing at that time. So let me help you contextualize this if you can. Paul, when he writes his letters, the the epistles that we know of Paul, you know, of of Philippians and Corinthians, all, all these letters that he wrote. He's typically going, either he's in prison under Roman authority, or he's able to travel and even appeals, if you remember, when they're going to hurt him at one point. Let me go back to Rome because I am a Roman citizen. So at the time that Paul was in existence and writing, somewhere around 50 AD, Christianity was protected, if you will, by... Mid to late 90, like 94, 95 and beyond, the emperor of Rome had become one who persecuted and they said he was basically the face of Satan. And if you notice as you read Revelation, Rome is looked at as this wicked place that was persecuting Christians. John, the writer who mentions it by name, he is John, often referred to as the elder, was somehow taken away and placed in exile on the island of Patmos, a Greek island that it was off the shore there of Turkey, so that's where he's writing from, with all these statements, challenges, encouragement, and blessings for these seven churches. We know the author, I said, as John, but many in the early church thought that this was John of the twelve disciples, John, the beloved. Not most commentators don't believe that these days. Sorry, there's something flying by. <laughs> You Nat know, or something. Um, most think that he's just another man named John and an elder man. So if he's writing in 95, and if, if we take Jesus being born in zero, 033, this is an older man by any means that would have known Jesus. And he's writing because he's been called and inspired. In fact, many commentators think that this John was actually the pastor of some of these seven churches that he's writing to. So he has personal experience with these churches. Not only is he being inspired by God, he's known them personally to be with them. And what I love, that we, how we all are, the first word in, and is he going to go word by word? We'll never get out of here. No, I'm just going to, the first word in the text is apocalypse. That's the Greek word for unveiling or revealing or uncovering. It is not the word for naked. In in Greek, that's the word we get gymnasium from because most of the Greeks did their gymnastic, athletic events uh, slightly clothed. But it is a word that's often used to be made naked in Greek. And what I think is amazing for me, if you've ever pulled the sheets back on somebody and exposed what they look like, that's what the word means, opening up, revealing. But instead, in modern day Christianity, we have pulled the covers over them. Covered it over our heads, and we put this book away. We don't even want to look at this book because it troubles us, and we can't figure it out. And we get like Martin Luther or Zwingli and say, hey, let's just cast it aside. Well, look at verses 1 and 2 again. The revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling, if you will, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw that this is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Introductions. Now you've been introduced. Let me give you, just like teachers would on that first day of class, some expectations and benefits of going to summer school. You know, Have you ever been given a syllabus in school? And how many of you put that thing away? And didn't pull it out till the end. Or maybe missed an assignment because you have some of these really sage uh, teachers that they put it in the syllabus. And if you don't read the syllabus, you don't know that that was due then. Or you don't know that they said you didn't have to do that. They're wanting to see if you read early on into the semester. But one of the simplest expectations and benefits of summer school is that you will attend. That you will be present. And if you are attend and be present and participate, you'll get this miraculous gift of being caught up. Or perhaps your grade expunged. Or you'll be prepared or even ahead of those who come back in the fall. Well, sadly, my son Spencer, who I got permission to do this with or say this about... Did not understand that because between his freshman and sophomore years of high school, he had to go to summer school. For whatever reason, I, I don't even remember. It's, it's good that time causes you to forget some things. I'm sure I was a very grouchy, angry dad at that time that my son had to go to summer school. But I wasn't as angry and grouchy about that until I got the phone call about the second week of, sun, of summer school when the vice principal asked me if Spencer was going to continue in summer school. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well... Uh, he hasn't been here in the past two days. I said, oh, well, either his mother or I dropped him off. I wonder where he's been. And he said, well, he could be with the group of boys that come in every every day and then go over to the Walmart parking lot, if you know where O'Connor is, and they go over to the Walmart parking lot and they skateboard until the end of summer school. Well, hang on to that. <clears throat> summer school, for it to benefit you, there is an expectation that you will attend and you will apply yourself. I would like to challenge you in the coming weeks to read this first chapter, read chapter 1 of Revelation, and go ahead and into the second chapter and read the information or the letter to the church at Ephesus, because that's who we'll pick up with next week. It seems that they, that church at, at Ephesus, has left something. Don't tell me what it is because I'm going to ask you next week. And also that they hate something. Interesting. Maybe next week you'll find out what that is. But many schools provide summer reading lists to help you get ready. So that's kind of like what I'm doing. Get ready, read chapter 1, read the letter to Ephesus, and I'll challenge you each week to stay at least a week ahead of me. Now, so Some of you are way ahead of me anyway. But um, when my oldest son... Uh, Started at Loyola College Preparatory School in Shreveport, a Catholic uh, high school run by Jesuit priests. Uh, Brenda and I sat in on his honors English class that he had to petition to get into. He'd come from Edwards Air Force. (laughs) His brother's laughing at me. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Saul's probably the best reader of the four kids, although Emma is a pretty good reader, too. I mean, as in voracious. We all read well, but I mean, as in, how many books have you read? This many versus, I've read a couple of them. I like them, you know. Um, The reading list that they, Brenda and I were at that, like, pre-planning. We'd never been to that school and wanted to check it out. And this teacher has got a stack of books, I mean, like, this high. And we, because a military family, we had moved late in the summer anyway, and these are the books that you should have read already this summer. That you, if you'd got this reading list, you would have applied yourself to that. And as she called out name after name after author after author, and I'm sitting there going, Nope, haven't heard that one. Nope, haven't heard of that one. Nope, haven't heard of that one. Finally, she got to one I wanted to go, Bingo! But I didn't. I just said, Thank you, Lord, that I went to school in the dark ages and there were not uh, reading lists like that when I went to school. But. I did try to find that list this week because I thought, how can I tie that into the sermon? And I went to the Loyola College Preparatory School. It's still in existence at Shreveport. And the only reading list I could find is for incoming freshmen to that high school. You are to read Stephen Covey's Seven Habits for Effective Teenagers. To be highly effective teenagers. And I thought, hmm, man. I ought to start drilling down how the mind works, the crazy mind of Cliff works. I should write seven effective, you know, habits of Christians. Oh, I bet somebody's already done that. So let me Google that and look that up, and here you have it. So here's some more expectation. Here are some more expectations for you. This was written by Joshua Infatado in 2017. He wrote this based off of Covey's. Uh, model book, and if you've been in the military, you probably got that jammed down your throat at some point. If you've been around the DoD, they everybody used Covey for a while. Even bought the. I think you had to have the day planners that looked like Covey planners. But event, here's what Joshua has for us as Christians: to be highly effective habits for Christians. Number one habit: number one, the habit of praying. Wow, how many of you have fallen out of the habit of praying? Two, the habit of studying the Bible. Studying the Bible. If you're showing up on Sunday morning or watching online on Sunday and that's the only Bible exposure you get to, get back in the habit of studying your Bible. Third, the habit of fasting. Oh, let's skip right over that. Baptists and fasting, those are oxymorons. But as we've talked about in sermons in the past, and I know we did that during our Lenten devotionals this year, fasting is abstaining from bodily satisfaction if you will for your stomach and focusing on your faith and it's not something to be boasted about it's not hey i fasted today or we can't go out to eat today ed because i'm fasting it's not a way to be spiritually arrogant it is a way to be in tune with something that god wants you to do The habit of fasting. The habit of overcoming sin. Not the habit of sinning, because many of us are in that habit. The habit of overcoming sin. Identifying the error. Identifying what you're not doing in line with God's way. And overcoming it. The habit of attending church. And it is so easy not to. The habit of attending church. The habit of developing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Do you know them? It's all right. Look them up this this afternoon. Boy, that's additional reading, too, isn't it? The habit of preaching or sharing the gospel. Because let me tell you, if you start sharing the good news with somebody, even like I talked about a few weeks ago, sharing it in a tobacco shop slash liquor store with a man, if you share the gospel, it will encourage you, you'll start sharing it more and more. with other people and it will bring you back to the habit of prayer to pray Lord give me more opportunities Lord equip me by giving me verses so I've studied the Bible Lord let me fast over this and let me make this be a focus of my life of sharing the good news and on and on you can build those habits together verse three is he ever going to get done blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near Summer school can be a blessing. Blessed are those who hear and take to heart because the time is near. And that's not the first chance that he's had. In verse 1, he talks about soon. And so I think even early on into this book, so many people are tied up. When is it going to happen? When is he coming again? And I remind you of the words of Jesus that says, Only the Father in heaven knows. So when you sit down with your stubby pencil, and you have every written verse down, and you've got multipliers, and uh, I mean, I've told you about the man in my hometown. love him. To, he was a deacon in our church. He plotted and planned. He was a barber, so when, bar, when people weren't in his barber shop, he's always reading the Word. I mean, he knew the Bible, and he was always predicting it's going to happen next week. It's going to happen the month after that. And that's the right mindset that it's going to happen. But don't belabor yourself so much that you focus on when versus telling somebody it is going to happen. Let me close out that story with Spencer. And I I got permission, I I, I did, seriously. Ask him, you can ask her. And they're true stories. So by the time, and and soon and when, you know, and it's in that context, when's he coming? I used to tell people, you know, when I was in college, I I know he's coming, but let me at least graduate. You do those kind of things with the Lord, don't you? I know he's coming again. I'd sure like to get married and go on honeymoon. I I know he's coming. I'd like to see one child. I I know he's coming. I'd like to see that child get married. I know he's coming. you, You do your whole life like that. Well, in high school, if you have skipped enough, And you have perhaps had some bad grades, and you know everybody else is going to graduate, and you have a twin that's going to graduate. You get real focused on time, when, and and quick now and fast in a hurry. And let me introduce you, and what was introduced to to Spencer, Craig Price, Mr. Price. Yeah, make you cry. He worked with my son to do credit retrieval. My son went to his funeral... He was only 60, I think 60 or 61 years old, and showed up, and they asked Spencer to speak for a little bit. Uh, that's, that, God, what a blessing, and I wasn't there. But, uh, I mean, that man worked hard to help my boy graduate. This is summer school, to help you be ready for graduation day. Grace in action, that's the last part of this, I mean this benefit part. Look at uh, verse 4, John to the seven churches. Grace and peace to you from from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. Now, almost with a combination of introductions, expectations, and benefits, you read through that and you see that John is telling us who... Who is giving him this information and what we are to be doing. He tells us basically that we are part of a priesthood. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins from our blo- from, by his blood. It really helps you get your glasses on. And has made us to be a, a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. John introduces the Trinity. That which was resolved in about 300 A.D., the concept of the Trinity. John spells it out. We get hung up on those that, that section that talks about the seven spirits before the throne. Some, King James, some of the older translations may say something like sevenfold. As you know, John loved the number seven. Biblically speaking, seven is that perfection. I think no one here or no one no. Ph.D. or scholar anywhere can truly define those seven. Because I've heard people, well, it's this, 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 and this, and and outline the seven. It is a, once again, a symbol of the Holy Spirit, that part of the Trinity, that Godhead of the Father. In In a different order, typically we say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Spirit, and Son, as it's mentioned right here in this passage. There is an expectation, even in this grace, that not only you will receive the grace, but that you will share the grace. By being a priest of the Father, being a messenger of His, going back to those seven habits of effective Christians, that you will share the good news with somebody else. So there is an expectation with that benefit. You've received the grace, now share that grace. I stumbled on this book this week by Graham Kendrick. It's a book on leadership. And he says that there, is, there are no solos in the book of Revelations. Every time they're singing, it's a choir. I quote, The 24 elders sing and cast their crowns before his feet. The united voices of countless angels resound. Every living creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and all that is in them are joined in one song. Those who are victorious over the beast are given harps and a song to sing. In every case, multitudes of people or angels unite in the same song with absolute unity. We are all priests to serve God. There is an expectation with the benefit. Like the intro to Mission Impossible. I know I'm dating myself. You know that movie was from 1987. If I say Mission Impossible, you'll think of maybe of Tom Cruise, but I remember Peter Graves, is that who it was? Yeah. You know, when Jim, your mission should you decide to accept it. This is the mission. You have been given God's grace. You are to share that grace with others, to explain what you have received, and help spread the good news of Jesus. And what would our world look like if we were more graceful in all that we did? What would your job look like? What would your community, your home, what would it look like if we were, if we replaced competition with cooperation? What would it look like if we spoke only words of forgiveness and encouragement in our families, in our job, in our neighborhood, in our community? What if we came to work, came to church, or walked in our neighborhoods and offer words of praise on a job well done, and when there was help needed, you became that one who would help? That's our job. To be a royal priesthood. You may be the only access to divine love that someone else ever has. I love this book because it begins with grace and ends with grace. Did you know that? The last verse talks about grace. It starts with grace and ends with grace. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The only time he's referred to as Alpha and Omega is in the book of Revelation. Those are the you know, first letter and last letter in the Greek alphabet. I am everything and everything in between. I am, he says, who was and who is to come. Now, um, I wasn't going to say this, but I had it in there. I thought, well, let me, let me do that. How many times have you known people that are more of a pain than more than grace and they're church people? Oh, not in this church. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm Other churches you've been a part of. But that is my challenge. That's a takeaway for today. Don't, don't be a royal pain in the church. Be a royal ambassador of grace. Summer school... Is in session, and I pray that you'll join me on this mission and accept this assignment of summer school and get rejuvenated with grace. Let's stand with me, please we pray. Our Father, as we come now to a conclusion of a very short introduction to this spectacular book, help us to stay focused on your son, not on trying to explain every seal, or the thrones, or the people, or the visions that John had. But know that if we had a snapshot into heaven, we would have a difficult time with our modern words to share it with somebody else. But I thank you for giving John that vision. And I thank you that this book was included in the canon. How many times I have said, we look to that time when there's no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, no more sorrow. And if we had excluded this book... I wouldn't know those words. If there's someone who's never come to know Jesus, I pray that this would be the day. Let them step forward as we sing together and say, I want to believe in this one that John has spoken about and written about. If there's someone who just wants to come to these steps and kneel and pray and unburden themselves of that sin that they've been carrying, let them feel the freedom to do that these things I ask in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.